Welcome back to Money Blitz TV Podcast. My name is Pierre De La Fortune, and today is March 25th, 2018. This is my favorite song, I Love You, Lord, today. And I'm just going to have the piano playing in the background as we listen to T.D. Jakes. So let's check this out. I'm in trouble. <laughs> so excited about this new book, Thor. Excited to talk to you about it tonight. Thank you. I've been reading it. Yeah. It's kind of weird, though, like... I had to do my research to interview you, and um, so I, I put in Amazon, because the book is subtitled, Build Your Vision from the Ground Up, and uh, focuses on leadership, mm-hmm. entrepreneurship, mm-hmm. so I put entrepreneur in Amazon search, and over 56,000 results, Wow! over 56,000 results, and then I put in leadership, over 257,000 results. Amazing. Which made me wonder, for my first official question of the interview, what was missing from the conversation that made you want to add your voice? Timing. What we need depends on where we are in the history of this country. Uh, The topography of this country has changed in terms of how we make a living quite a bit from agricultural. Uh, We went through that phase to the industrial age to the uh, information age that we're currently in right now. And people have had to retool themselves in order to keep up with trends they didn't choose. Now we're in an era where uh, people of my generation send our kids to school because we train them to think a job. And we said, if you go to school and you get a good education, you're gonna come out and you're gonna get a great job. And that was true when I was coming up. But that's not true today. Today you can, <laughs> am I right about it? Today you can go to school, you can get a great education and come out with a good bill. <laughs> a whole lot of debt and end up working at Burger King. <laughs> Nothing against Burger King. <laughs> but uh, how, how do we, <laughs> I have to be careful, brother, like we get sued on the regular. Uh, <laughs> The question then becomes, how do we, with our education and our disappointment, living in our mother's house, sleeping on the couch, eating cereal at noon, retool ourselves so that we can be functional in the 21st century? Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I listen at the argument that our country's having right now. It's, it's hard to listen to. <laughs> but beneath all of the chatter... The Red Belt states and the inner cities are crying about the same thing, the lack of opportunity. And we're looking to the White House to solve the problem. And the reality is that's not going to happen. That's not going to happen. And, and we need solutions. And this goes beyond, we like to talk in terms of, we have nice terms for it, but it's really black and white, you know, urban and red belt states are really black folks, white folks. But now we're both getting broke. <laughs> okay, which is a scary situation. And, and you've got smart, bright, gifted, talented people who can't find an opportunity. Also in our community, and, and even in other communities, you have this dilemma of people who made mistakes when they were young. Uh, it's some criminal justice issue. 
and 25 years later, they can't get a job or a place to stay. That's a real problem. So rather than to go get a job, I thought it was important to talk about being a job. You know, yeah, about being a job, about hiring yourself, about the opportunities that exist to create your own uh, reality, your own business, your own company, to be the CEO of you. The CEO. And I think it surprises a lot of people to hear you talk like that who are only familiar with you as a preacher. Right, right. I mean, there's no doubt, okay, when I when I go to preach for Bishop Jakes, I've had the privilege to do it uh, three times, I think. Yeah. I spend as long trying to figure out what I want to say in my introductory remarks to honor him because of what he's meant to me as I do on my message. And um, I never can quite find the words, but uh, the last time I think I was with you, I gave you a nickname. I don't know if you remember, I called you the Slasher. And I called you that because I called him that because no matter what title someone would put with uh, the name T.D. Jakes, they would have to put a slash after it. So you're a pastor slash author. New York Times best-selling, multiple number one, 793 weeks author, um, slash producer, slash record label executive, uh, slash philanthropist, slash father, slash husband, slash, slash, I call him slasher. Uh, probably the first time you've ever been called that. They got me an FBI investigation. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much. At the heart of... At the heart of that nickname, though, is a lot of admiration. I wonder, when did you decide not to be limited by one title or one function? I never knew that the way people described you would become a prison until they did it. Uh, when, when I met me, I was not a preacher. <laughs> so I didn't know that they would incarcerate me with the title. Uh, you are at your best when you are authentic to your core. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you have to be what you are, not what they call you. Yeah. Sometimes people, you understand what I'm saying? Sometimes people will call you a name and you start living up to the name and it limits you from what else God wants to do in your life. You know, and, and by the way, I, I, I get a lot of credit for inventing this, but the credit is really misplaced because when you think of the Apostle Paul, he was a writer. Uh, he was a thinker, respected by the thinkers of his age at a time when there were profound thinkers in Paul's age, known for his ability to be uh, progressive intellectually. He was a speaker. He was a writer. He was a tent maker. He, he was able to influence Aquila and Priscilla, not because of his preaching, but because of his business. They shared the same business. And out of that business influence and affluence, a relationship emerged that affected the kingdom. When you look at Jesus, who was a carpenter's son, and later they called him a carpenter, he who handled wood ended up nailed to a tree. And what happens in life as we evolve as a person, we cannot allow ourselves to be incarcerated by anything that people would describe us with because we limit then what the Holy Spirit can do in your life. You know what I'm saying? I do. Let, let me jump in and say this one quick thing. 
I think if Jesus had come in our day, he would have been a filmmaker. But because they didn't have films, he told parables. But if you think about it, parables are movies made of words. If he were to come today, he would have done films. Imagine how that would look like today. Most of what we call church, we would have to teach Jesus. He never saw a greeting committee. Jesus never saw a choir. Jesus never met a deacon. Jesus never had a board. Jesus never had a whole lot of things that we would have to go through and say, now Jesus don't sit over there. That's the reserve section. And, uh, and, and Jesus, when you, when you get ready to leave, put your finger up, tip out. You know, we, we would, we, we, these accruedments that attach itself to religion often block our view from revelation. Because I was, I was uh, raised by a dying father, born in between two dead babies, I really value the preciousness of life. The baby before me died and the baby after me died and my mother clutched to me as only a mother can who has lost a child. And, and an appreciation for the value of life and a refusal to allow anybody to take away the great privilege of being alive. I will think for myself. I will move in my own direction. You can say whatever you want to say about it, but I'm going to be me. <laughs> you see what I'm saying? Yeah. yeah. At the core of everything, Soar is saying, don't be limited. Don't put a period because you, you did one thing that you can't do something else, that you can't be something else, that you can't evolve as an individual, that you can't explore other idioms of thought. Uh, you know, let me shut up because I get to talk about it. No, it's great. I, I want to dig deeper into that because the arc of your teaching and one of the most influential messages that I've received from you is get out of your comfort zone. Mm -hmm. I mean, if you open your mouth, some version of that's going to come out. Maybe from the Old Testament or maybe a, from an, a, a chicken's egg. You know, there's, there's some way that you're going to tell me get out of your comfort zone. Mm -hmm. I wondered, though, because I've also heard you teach so much about your capacity, mm -hmm. that each person has a God-given capacity. Mm -hmm. For the person who is trying to decide who am I, what can I do, um, I don't know yet. I haven't tried yet. I think I know what I have. I don't know if I have it or not. How do we know the difference between staying in our comfort zone versus going beyond our capacity? You're only measured in terms of success by his investment in terms of contribution. If he gave one man one talent, another man two talents, and another man five talents, he didn't expect the man with one talent to produce ten. But at least give me two. The man who had two talents came back with four. The man with five talents came back with ten. The man with two talents came back with four. The man with five came back with ten. Those are the same things. That's a hundredfold. The man with one came back with nothing. Now the Apostle Paul says that when we compare ourselves with one another in so doing it is not wise because we don't have the same starting place. So if I'm going to make success predicated on what my neighbor had, that is only fair if I started with what my neighbor started with. Let me ask this. 
What if I'm not clear about what I started with? Because I've heard you do this thing before, too. Okay, the advantage I have interviewing you is I have a library of things that you've said. I don't think there's been a sermon. by the way. Yeah, so I have the upper hand. But you do this thing. All right, I I saw him do this thing at a preacher's conference once. And he said, uh, I, I I won't... imitate your voice go ahead go ahead, go ahead. Uh, he has this really intense uh, mode there's there's a wide open bishop jakes and then there's a very intense uh very it's it's it's, it's many gears but it's, it's equal intensity and it's terrifying um but it, it was a it was a it was a pretty a, a pretty big moment and you you say there's nothing that i have that you don't have uh, i have one mouth you have one mouth. I have two ears. You have two ears. And you know how descriptive he is. He went all the way to the toenails. Um, and I'm just being honest, Bishop. Respectfully, I was thinking, that's not true. You have this mind and this ability and this voice, even as a preacher who admires you so much, there's a part of me that goes, I know the point is that God has given each of us a calling, but I think a lot of us, when we hear about the parable of the talents, we don't know, well, do I have one? Do I have two? Do I have five? I don't want to get out there and do something stupid that I wasn't meant to do, but I don't want to stop short. You're really hitting on something. First thing, I am in touch with myself in a way that a lot of people are not. I know me. I, I, I dated me. <laughs> it's funny, but it's true. I've dated me. I know me. You know, when you date somebody, you explore them to see who they are. Yeah. Most people are so busy dating other people, they never dated themselves. You know when, when God says to Adam, the very first command God says to Adam is to be fruitful. You can only be fruitful if you are seedful. Okay, so we're talking about the difference between fruit and seed. Identifying your seed is what causes you to be fruitful. The first revelation of seed should happen in your family. You should have parents who are looking at their kids looking for seeds. I'm going to give you my grandbaby story. You asked for it. You're going to get it. You're just going to get it. So we're in my church and it's dark and my grandbaby's in there and a bunch of friends are in there and we're taking pictures and I can't find the light. And, I, you know, the lights are complicated and I can't figure out how to turn all this stuff on. And, and so we're trying to get some, some pictures. And so my grandbaby ran and she says, wait a minute, Paul. I'm going to get a flashlight. She went up under the pew where we have hidden flashlights, snatched down a flashlight and brought it over and said, now take the picture. And so I said to her, I said, baby, don't you want to be, Kenzie, don't you want to be in the picture? She said, no, I don't want to be in the picture. I want to hold the light. That's the seed right there. That's the seed right there. So we came back to the house and I was getting ready to take a picture. And I'm trying to keep up with you millennials, you know. It's so hard. And I was trying to take a selfie. And I was trying to, I got a timer, you know, where you can back up. You know. If you follow me on Instagram, you know this is true. And, uh, and so I couldn't get my phone to sit up. And she, she went and got some books and propped it up. And I said, I told my daughter, I said, put her in leadership classes. Put her in management classes. She's a problem solver. That starts early. 
early, early. Her instinct in a situation is to solve the problem. She says, I don't want to be in the picture. I want to hold the light. Those are seeds. Okay. Directing that child toward an area where you can cultivate what God has planted down inside of them is important. It's very, very important. There are people in this room that have dormant seeds laying inside of them. That if they get in the right atmosphere, they're going to turn into things you have never seen before. They didn't always have the benefit of parents who could see it or had time to see it or knew how to see it. But even as adults, there are still seeds down in you that have not been touched yet. That's what happened to Elisha. He was fulfilling his parents' vision. Plowing in the field. That boy wasn't no farmer. <laughs> Just because you can run a plow doesn't mean you're a farmer. But sometimes we get stuck in what people expect. And we never find out who we are because we're living somebody else's dream. And so there he is plowing in the field doing what his daddy wanted. Going around and saying, I guess this is all life has for me. And he's going around and around in circles. Like many people are listening to me right now. You go to work, go to church, go home. Go to work, go to church, go home. Go to work, go to church, go home. You're plowing around and around in circles. Until Elijah passed by him. And then he was exposed to something. The moment he was exposed to something greater, he dropped something lesser. You understand what I'm saying? That's why conversations like this are important. Because really, I'm not throwing seeds. I'm throwing fertilizer. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And if it hits a seed, it's going to give birth to companies and businesses and books and artistry and drama and all kinds of stuff that's in this room that people never have given themselves permission to burn their plow. That's what this book is all about, Pastor. It is about, I'm not against people working a job, but we have entrepreneurs in a job and you're frustrating the company and you. Nobody likes you. They don't like you. Let, let, me, let me ask you this because... Because uh, you're scared of what I'm here to say. I just think that's a very tweetable moment. They don't like you at Bishop Jakes so true they don't like you touch your neighbor and say they don't like you no i just want to clarify because it seems like entrepreneurism entrepreneur is a trendy title these days mm -hmm. you hear it more and more mm -hmm. it's not a weird thing anymore it's kind of sexy to post you know on my grind and uh you know what do you think about that Bishop, because I would imagine that generationally, I know enough about how you grew up. Maybe, maybe people would like to hear a little bit about what it means to you. What's the essence of entrepreneurship to you, your value system, versus how you see it being portrayed culturally now, especially in a younger generation? <laughs> uh oh. <laughs> well, most most of the time today, when people say they're on their grind, they overslept, they're laying on the couch and they're eating cereal. <laughs> That's what it means. Yeah, that's what it means today. That is not what it meant in, in my day, and that is not what makes people successful. I have had, I, I, I have to be careful about even going down this road. I have been so blessed to get in the room with some of the most incredible people on the planet. I had lunch the other day with the CEO of AT&T. 
And we sat for hours and hours talking and interacting with each other and became friends. Last Sunday, I was invited to Oprah's house and she launched her book. And I've seen her behind the scenes and seen how she operates, who she is and what she does. Pretty nice place. <laughs> <laughs> Instead of burning my plow when I came home, I started to burn down my house. Okay? <laughs> I said, I'll set it on fire. The insurance will pay for it. Uh, I've seen people who were on their grind. I've seen Steve Harvey's on his grind. I've seen people on their grind. What on the grind really is, is a work ethic that would blow your mind. It would blow your mind. I'm 60 years old, and I, everybody who works for me is younger than me, and they'll tell you, I'll work you up under the table. I'll work you up under the table. Where does that come from? My father. My father. Absolutely. My father is real. My, let me tell you, this chair is about to break. My father's sitting here, and my mother is sitting here, and they're wow. fighting for the mic from moment to moment. My grandmother talks to you every now and then. All of my ancestors are sitting on this table all the way back to Nigeria. Ancestors were Igbos from Nigeria, and Igbos are called black Jews, that they're industrious, that they go after things, that they're hard-working people. So all the way back in my DNA, we were self-sufficient, mm -hmm. and all of them are sitting here, folks whose name I can't even call. So what we're talking about is culture. Okay, and not, not racial culture, family culture, mm -hmm. where, where the demonstration of what my father decided what grinding was. <laughs> you weren't grinding till daddy said you were grinding. Gotcha. <laughs> Take your hands out your pocket, boy, like you got a million dollars in your pocket. They trained us mm -hmm. not to be lazy. They talked about lazy like it was a disease. I mean, like it's the worst was a thing disease. you could be. It was the worst yeah. thing you could be. You know, and, and, and two things to this day, I should say that in your church. I can say this about your son, said in your church, and I'm going to let you figure out all this now you get. <laughs> two things I, to this day I cannot stand is a stinking woman and a lazy man. <laughs> Talking about. You see that? Yeah. Imagine when he has.
has a steak knife across the table. One lady jumped back three rows, just said, hey. In the morning. <laughs> I see a lady really scared out right here. <laughs> my mother was a school teacher. She was dramatic. In, in the morning, you should devour the prey. In the evening, you should divide the spoils. If you don't devour when you're young, you'll have nothing to divide when you're old. It's incredible. Wow. Wow. That's all I can say about T.D. Jakes, man. Um, definitely, probably one of my favorite uh, pastors ever. Thank you for tuning in today's episode here on Money Bliss TV Podcast. This is Pierre De La Fortune, and I'm signing out. As always, God bless. <laughs>